You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today, we're talking about Reese's Apartment, which originally aired March 21st, 2004, was directed by David Crossman and written by Dan Kopelman. And if I had to describe myself in one word, it would be Jake. And I'm David, and on this podcast, the toilet seat never needs warming is a good argument. <laughs> and I'm Eric. Glurb! <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, welcome back to the show, Eric. Thank you for having me. I'm always pleased to be here. I'm so happy you're here, Eric. I've been looking forward to this so much. I definitely was super excited to have you on. Tonight. So well prepared, as always. Like, just <laughs> on, right. on top of your game, just like, knew, like, was counting down the moments for when I was joining. Uh... <laughs> he definitely wasn't confused when I said, well, we still have to get Eric in the call. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry, dude. I legit thought that was... Dude, this week has been so shitty for me at work, man. I legit thought that was next week. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> well, uh, Eric, why don't you tell anyone who's tuning in for the first time where they can find you? Oh, thank you. File Under Entertainment Podcast. Uh, we had a whole first season covering movies that I did with my brother Dylan. Uh, this second season is music related. Uh, you guys were just on the most recent episode, which was M. Four and a half hours was a lot of fun. Uh, Mazzy Star, the Mountain Goats, and Metallica. Also, Jared from Feathers and Friends. Um, also, for anyone that is a fan of the sports ball stuff, I uh, do the college football show uh, with evil mark the evil mark show uh that airs on thursdays that's me in a nutshell <laughs> nice heck yeah and actually uh we're gonna be on feather and friends here pretty soon couple weeks yes indeed that will be Which, fun uh, it will be it's uh, another another opportunity to hang out with eric uh but also a new friend uh which is awesome i like how these things sort of mesh together yeah, I mean, podcasting is great to meet new people from all around the world that have, you know, a lot of your same interests, and, you know, yeah, it's pretty fun. I met you guys through that, met Jared through that, so, yeah, and be become real-life friends that I rely on, so. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's really cool. Well, getting in to the usual business... We, as always, have our community segment, starting with a big thank you to everyone who supports us over on Patreon, which supports all of the stuff that we do, and that's how you gain access to our secret podcast, Uncaged. And we also have some poll results. Looking back on Lois's sister, uh, which our shittiest kid for that episode, we both chose... Malcolm for going along with Reese and declaring him a god and not learning his lesson from Stupid Girl. And uh, the audience has a three-way tie what? for this poll. Uh, Dewey, Malcolm, and Reese all tied for shittiest kid on the poll. Wow. <laughs> alright, alright. Uh, Luke left a reply on that poll. Uh, saying Malcolm was really stupid this episode, but he wasn't shittiest. Dewey and Reese were both much shittier. 
I don't know. When a dog shits on the carpet, it's like, man, this sucks, but understandable. When a human shits on the carpet, you're like, bro. Unless the they were drunk. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you shit in your pants if you're drunk. Right. No, you don't. Not on the carpet. <laughs> look, look. For the first time in a very long time, at, at my niece's wedding, I got drunk enough that I woke up in the middle of the night, vomited all over myself, like had to run to the bathroom and vomit more. And as I was doing that, like just completely like super fucked up drunk, I was actively thinking... I should shit my pants. <laughs> no, I was actively thinking... That shitting the pants thing still doesn't make sense. <laughs> Jake, we've established you're a puker, not a shitter. I guess, but... <laughs> then you, you weren't nearly drunk enough. If you were having, like, a cognitive thought that I... That it still didn't make sense that you would be vomiting and, you know, shitting your pants, you weren't nearly drunk enough. You had to drink... Eric's kind of got a point. Yeah, you, you... yeah, because if I'm that drunk, I'm dead. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Maybe they died and then they came back. It happens. You know, you know, you got me there. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, they, they do say that you do lose control of your bowels when you uh, pass on. So, I mean, I guess there's, there's something to be said for that. Maybe all those people died and came back to life. <laughs> Mystery solved. That's right. Near-death experiences. Oh. Boom. <laughs> that's a much more logical answer than just getting blackout drunk and shitting yourself dying yeah, and coming back yeah. yeah that makes more sense to me for sure <laughs> that's insane you're insane uh, <laughs> uh but moving on to the least shitty kid bull for lois's sister we also agreed on that when we both chose dewey as least shitty kid uh and the audience agreed with us or at least half of the audience did uh, that one was split with Dewey getting 50% of the vote and Malcolm and Francis both getting 25%. Okay, a little uh, couple deniers out there. Yeah, and for uh, most of the week, that one was also a three-way tie. <laughs> 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 someone, someone came in last minute to make it not a tie for us. <laughs> nice. We appreciate that person. Even if it was Josh from Des Moines. <laughs> well, Look, we appreciate Josh from Des Moines. He's just always wrong. <laughs> Like, thanks for listening, but you suck. <laughs> Way to really endear yourself to the fans, David. What? Not all of them are Josh from Des Moines. It's one person. Also, they know. Oh. They've listened to this podcast. They know. That's fair. And they're this... from Des Moines, so. You know. Yeah. At this point, <laughs> I am convinced that anyone who enjoys Malcolm in the Middle understands this one principle and that is people suck and we're all people so we all suck yeah i thought the one principle was that life is unfair yeah no the one principle is red on <laughs> <laughs> and on that note let's get into this week's episode oh so soon <laughs> As we do, uh, why don't you tell us why you chose this episode as what he wanted to come on for? I really like Reese-centric plots where he has a chance to shine like he does in this one. And yeah, for obviously anyone that hasn't seen the episode and it just relies on the recap that you guys do, which is always, you know, top notch. 
Hal and Lois, try as they might, they this is kind of like evidence for them being... Uh, I appreciate their position, and I do think for the most part they, they do try to be good parents, but this episode for sure shows that they're kind of shit at what they do. Like, he he was much better <laughs> off on his own. Like, yeah, he, he obviously did, you know, still do some shitty stuff, which we'll obviously cover, but yeah, Reese, away from Helen Lois's influence, uh, really got a chance to be a functioning member of society, which Hal so eloquently puts himself. So I, I like that. But it also, it can't be... Uh, Malcolm in the Middle, a Wilkerson show without some, you know, backhanded kind of thing. So for every good, there's also some bad that goes with it, too. Yeah, I really like this one. Yeah. Also really interested when we get into the shittiest and least shitty uh, with the, to, <laughs> to hear David's cockamamie excuse for why Malcolm is the shittiest this time. <laughs> Maybe tell someone else this time, Eric. Oh, yeah, we know better than that. I also was thinking very hard about what uh, kind of the naming conventions would be for for the uh, the plot points. So we'll see what he went with. Don't give me the shifty Fair. eyes, David. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I need to yeah, name I... those real quick. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I got it. I got it done this time. I got it done this time. <laughs> <laughs> I do think this is sort of the, the start of, uh, as you're sort of alluding to, a change in the later seasons. I think, like, early seasons, I, I think Hal and Lois are, like, generally, like, very good parents. But I feel like this is the episode, and then there's a, a few other down the lines that really uh, call that into question in these later seasons. I feel like we're really starting to see a combination of like the writers like facing their past traumas because like i feel like this show has very much so been the writer's room like hey remember when this happened to me as a child and then someone else is like oh yeah we had similar situations like i feel like the more you do that especially with a group of the same people you start to get a little closer you start to realize oh man everyone wasn't hit across the face with a belt as a child maybe <laughs> i am fucked up you know, and like, obviously that's a massive exaggeration, but you, you get what I'm saying. And I think some of that is starting to show through in like the writing and the way things are, are being broken down in the show. Yeah. I, I like it because it doesn't like Lois is always kind of like this superhero character that always is almost perpetually right. And in this case, she was wrong a lot, but also still right in the end. I, I like that it shows that they're. They're parents that love their kids, but they're still people, and so they're fallible. And so, obviously, yep. they make mistakes, and, you know, how do they redeem themselves to become good parents in the end? Uh, that whole portion with the active listening, I think, just speaks volumes for it. It's, it's hilarious. I, I just love... It's not one of, like, the all-time funniest episodes, but there's... With every episode, obviously, there's always great moments... And I think just as a whole, it's a really just good, solid episode. Not, again, like one of the ones that you're going to be like laughing every five seconds, but one that you can really appreciate on a numerous amount of levels. Like, especially like as an adult, like maybe, you know, watching it for the first time as a kid, you kind of tend to agree more with the, the kid's point of view. And then as you become an adult, then you start to kind of side more with the, the parents. And yeah, as an adult, you definitely make mistakes and it's uh 
it's a learning experience for everybody and it, it's great i like it from that standpoint fair enough well let's go ahead and get into the recap then and i only have this separated into two plot lines no cold open oh shit you're right <laughs> wow jake wow well, I, I rambled for quite a bit. So he's like, we're like 20 minutes in. We've got to be playing into the episode proper by now. Surely we've right. done the cold open. Surely. <laughs> but uh, that, that cold open that I definitely remembered and didn't edit around uh, starts with Hal and Lois opening the door, looking into the boys' room where Dewey is seemingly sleeping uh, with, like, one hand on a catalog with his finger pointing to a trampoline. And Lois and Hal look at this and say, Oh, he wants a trampoline for his birthday, but we can't afford that. And then Dewey's finger moves down to a skateboard. And Lois says, Well, we could afford that if he doesn't have a party. And then... His finger moves down even lower to a pogo stick. And uh. <laughs> they, they say, oh yeah, we can do that. And then Hal says, he's going to be so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Dude, I love that so much. It's so funny. <laughs> now, getting into the episode proper, we will start with the Malcolm-centric plot line. Uh, which, what do you think David has named this plotline, Eric? Uh, I'm gonna guess... Well, yeah, you never know, because sometimes he goes uber-simplistic, and sometimes he's been going with, like, <laughs> like really, yeah. really specific things. Yeah. I'm guessing that since last time I was on, he went with all F-plots, and since there's not a specific F-plot this time, I'm guessing that he's gonna go F for football. Okay. See, I don't think he did anything too extravagant because he forgot that you were coming on the show. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to say he named it the B plot for blue. Mm. Those are both very good guesses. But no, this is the S plot for Stanford. <laughs> Stanford? Yeah. It's only the third best astrophysics department in, in the country, David. Why would you even care about that? And that's the end of the episode. There we go. Yeah, exactly. See? Done. Boom. Awards. <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope. We skipped right over those. Go ahead and plug yourself again, Eric. We're done. <laughs> okay. So why well, does Stanford matter so much, Jake? This plot line starts with uh, Malcolm at school, and he is talking to camera, saying that the best 16 minutes of his day are the 16 minutes in between school ending and him getting home. Which is <laughs> a very depressing sentiment. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> and uh, his 16 minutes are immediately interrupted as the football coach, who we saw previously as the wrestling coach, Calls over to Malcolm and introduces him to Ira. Uh, and he informs Malcolm that uh, Ira uh, is, you know, slated to get all of these full ride scholarships at a bunch of different schools based on his football playing. 
but that they all want him to write a personal essay, and they have chosen Malcolm to help him with this, as it is the job of non-football players to do things for football players. The cheerleaders get it. Why can't you? Yeah, well, the reason <laughs> is because Malcolm is obviously the smartest kid in school, and Ira is referred to as a hamster, st a hamster idiot, and only if we're talking about a really stupid hamster. <laughs> yep. <laughs> also, I'd like to take a minute here. I know it's not the same actor, but something about this wardrobe choice for this uh, coach makes me think that this is also the coach from Community. I know they are wildly different people, but I just see all, like, the minute you're in that, like, stereotypical coach outfit, they all look the same, dude. <laughs> <laughs> It's so bad. <laughs> I don't have face blindness. I have, like, gym shorts blindness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, I do like that after the uh, gym coach talks about how stupid Ira is with Ira standing right there, Ira's only response is, my mom says I have other nice qualities. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. <laughs> that was going to be my alternate uh, introduction line. <laughs> nice. Uh, that, that was my introduction line until I uh, switched it at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> Great oh, minds. Uh. Or these minds, anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, trying to get Malcolm to go along with this plan, because, of course, he doesn't want to. He's talking about, you know how much homework he already has to do. The uh, coach tells him, uh, if you do this, you'll get out of gym for the rest of the semester. And Malcolm says, I don't mind, Jim. And the, the coach just completely dismisses him, saying, uh, sure you don't, Brainiac. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I used to get that all the time, like, from whenever they'd bring in, like, outside gym teachers and stuff, because people would always assume that, like, the fat kids hated gym, too. It's like, nope, just fat. I like martial arts. I like soccer. Let's go play. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, we see Malcolm helping Ira at the Wilkerson house. As Malcolm's, like, telling him, you know, it's not going to be too hard. It's just like writing any other essay you, you, you've written. Ira just, like, blankly stares at him. Then he says... You know, it's like doing your homework. And Ira continues to blankly stare. And he says, for your classes? And even with that, Ira just blankly stares at him like he has no idea what he's talking about. Oh, do I have a story about this, though? Same. Uh, uh, <laughs> dude, I the college I went to, 100%. Uh, my advisor and I got, like, super close because he was also, like, the professor for almost all of my classes privileges of small colleges i guess um and uh he and i had very similar uh ways of thinking about the world and uh dude he told me one time that uh he has footballers that would they would like bring into the school and they wouldn't show up to class and he would flunk them and at the end of the semester their grade would magically become a c um mm -hmm. and uh this was not an uncommon practice uh, and one day I got put in English class next to one of these gentlemen and, uh, we were doing a project where we had to trade papers back and forth. I couldn't 
leave a single space if I was going to correct every problem with the red pen, there would not be a word that was untouched. The grammar was wrong. This everything was wrong. The the there was no. It didn't make sense. Um, it looked like he copy and pasted sections of Google searches, not uh-huh. articles, Google searches, into what he thought was a coherent paragraph. And I was like, "Dude, how are you here? We need like." I wanted to get this kid help. He needed to be taught how to read. And no one was helping him. And that is bullshit. And I tried. I really did. I spent the whole class trying to show him, like, basic grammar stuff so that he could, like, improve. But, like, yeah. I, I Holy shit. Oh, yeah. No, that, that does definitely happen. In college, there was a kid that, like, blatantly, like, got caught by another student because it was so blatant. Just, like... Fully plagiarizing, like, an article they found online that there was a football player. And mm. it wasn't, like, to the level that he was, like, allowed to get away with that at my college. Like, he flunked out of that class. It was one of those things where it was, like, so blatant and so obvious that, like... And this was, like, a senior-level class. So it was, like, pretty obvious he'd been doing this for, like... Mm. The, his entire college career and just like never been called on it before yeah it's super common i mean in doing the the show the evil mark show that we do we thought that's our primary focus typically is college football and there's a lot of schools that you know especially down south where they're just football factories they don't even have classes north carolina famously like they didn't even get in trouble with the ncaa which is like the governing body for collegiate athletics North Carolina was just, like, fabricating courses, like, on the level of, like, underwater basket weaving kind of, like, stuff just to have their football players, you know, sign up so that they could say that they were attending this class. And it it didn't even, there wasn't even a professor. It wasn't even a legitimate class. There was no one in attendance. It was just a class in, in name and numbers only just so that they could have a passing grade. It's just insane to me that that kind of stuff flies. That's some Greendale-level crap right there. And, and I mean, on a smaller, like, more connected to the episode level, like, this is also how my brother got through high school. Well, like, there, there were some teachers that would, like, make him do stuff, but there were other classes where he's like, oh, yeah, I never went to that class, like, ever through the year. Hmm. But I mean, he was a football player, so they passed him. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's a scene. <laughs> we, we need a linebacker. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that tackle. That tackle's a C. C's get degrees. They weren't even like a good football high school. (laughs) They were not. It was. He he did way better on his wrestling. (laughs) We we were such a shitty. We we won one game over the course of two years. Like we were pissed terrible. But it was so. We were so small that we played both sides of the ball. We played offense and defense. But we were also so small of a school that like almost all of the quote unquote jocks. We're also like straight A students. We were all in honor roll too. Yeah. So it's like we we lived kind of both sides of this world. Like we were not like genius level like Malcolm, but we were all in like advanced honors classes. Like I skipped a grade and also played football. So it's like I kind of see both sides, and that's why it's like I, I don't really understand like why there's such a pushback from quote unquote nerds against like sports, and also from like jocks against like nerd things. Like I just like I lived in both worlds. So I guess I'm the exception, but I did too. But I couldn't do it like so I, I kind of get the the pushback, I think, because 
I, I lived in both worlds, but not really because I couldn't do it at like public school level. My mother and uh, actually offered to pay for my equipment so that I could play on one of the local high school teams uh, and middle school teams growing up. And neither middle schools nor high schools would have it because I was homeschooled. I wasn't allowed to play. And so, like, I grew up in this weird thing where, like, I did just as much sports as everyone else, but because I wasn't in, like, any of the, like, public school circuit sports mm -hmm. stuff, like, mm -hmm. the jocks still, like, made fun of me for being a nerd, and the nerds were kind of like, yeah, fuck off. <laughs> and <laughs> and I, I think a lot of it comes from that old school, like, the remnants of that 80s social separation because it's it doesn't seem to be as prevalent now like talking to my nephews and nieces who are in public school whereas in the past like it definitely felt like that that hang on from from yeah. the 80s and before separation still kind of bled into our childhood yeah yeah, yeah it, it was especially weird because like it it literally felt like it i think it's just like particular circumstances but like that separation was exactly my, like, grade. Because, like, the year above us, there was, like, a kid that was, like, the stereotypical, like, 80s bully jock kid <laughs> that, that did, like, some, like, really fucked up, like, hazing stuff and, and, like, did, like, all of the, like, stereotypical, like, bully stuff and was just super shitty and, like, talked about how, you know, like, like kids did that to him, like, when he was coming up in high school all the time, like, it was this great, like, tradition... <laughs> <laughs> but like even like just the year below that like my grade like that shit didn't happen at all there was no one like that or anyone like in the grades below us it was like he was the the last of his kind <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he's probably still that same dude he's still he's one of those that probably lives for the glory days of high school right probably i don't know <laughs> I, I haven't been back to the town i went to high school in like 10 years you could so. probably stalk his facebook and catch his profile picture of him still in his like letterman jacket probably so <laughs> that would require probably. jake using facebook <laughs> well i mean i don't either so <laughs> i have an account i think <laughs> getting back to the episode as malcolm is like continuing you know trying to uh help ira he like breaks it down to the the most basic level saying you know all we need to do is get it started so he asks Ira to describe himself in one word. That's <laughs> where my line, intro line comes from. As he sits there and he thinks real hard about it. And then he says, Ira. <laughs> so Malcolm like writes his, you know, introductory sentence. You know, just essentially just, you know, saying who he is. And then he asks what his earliest memory is. And Ira says, blue thing. <laughs> Which Malcolm, like, uh, you know, extrapolates it into this, you know, like, little introduction uh, about how his childhood, uh, you know, often feels a uh, you know, vague and distant, like like a vague blue image. <laughs> and uh, continuing on, he, he asks Ira, and what's your biggest fear? And Ira says, spiders. No, wait, waffles. <laughs> Such a weird arbitrary. <laughs> yeah, I like that Waffles is in contention with spiders. Like, in what world? That's like, uh, let's say David saying sharks. No, blueberry muffins. 
Sorry, buddy. <laughs> I don't have any problem with blueberry muffins. They're delicious. <laughs> that was great for audio listeners, by the way. That bit was phenomenal. Of course. Yeah, well was. done, David. Uh, of course, Jake's just going to edit out the silence, so people are going to be like, what fucking bit? <laughs> <laughs> Correct. I love it. I love it. <laughs> But Malcolm, like, takes that fear of waffles and, uh, well, like, treats it as uh, much more abstract as he starts, like, writing th th this essay about Ira. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, we see Malcolm finishing the paper as uh, he has, like, a bunch of, you know, presumably other drafts, like, crumpled up around him. And he is reading the conclusion out loud to Ira. And as he finishes, Ira says, uh, that's great. The, the parts that I could understand were really good. <laughs> and blue's definitely my favorite color now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he says, people are going to think I'm really smart as he takes the essay and starts to leave as Malcolm is, like, trying to stop him. Uh, you know, saying uh, the, the, the last step is to uh, write it in your words now. But Ira just takes what he's written and leaves. <laughs> Malcolm goes to Lois to ask her uh, advice on what he should do. He says they you know he's torn because he doesn't want to help Ira cheat, but he also doesn't want to ruin his chances at going to these colleges, so, so he's just not sure what to do. And Lois, because of events on the other plotline, is just repeating back what he is saying to her. <laughs> Which... Malcolm catches on to, <laughs> first he asks her why she's talking like a robot, to which she just replies, you want to know why I'm talking like a robot? <laughs> and Malcolm thinks that she is mocking him as he says, I, I came to you for help and you're just uh, throwing everything I say back at me like some kind of parrot. <laughs> to which Lois just responds with, you say things, and then I repeat them back. <laughs> I, mm, I I probably shouldn't get into it here. We should wait until we talk about their side of it. But this scene made me so angry. Ha having got no useful advice from Lois, Malcolm goes back to Ira and he asks him if he still has the essay. And when he says yes and gives it to Malcolm... As Malcolm tells him he needs to make a change, Malcolm says, this is the change, and he rips it in half. To which, seeing this, Ira just says, oh, was it too long? <laughs> uh, I love that reaction. <laughs> Ira's a hero. Ira's actually pretty great. <laughs> but as uh, Ma Malcolm uh, explains, he thinks that Ira can write this essay himself and that, uh, you know, everyone thinks he's stupid and they do all these things for him, but he doesn't need them to. Malcolm believes in him and he says it's just like the story Ira told him about the two-pound steak. He didn't think he could eat it, but he just went bite by bite until he did. <laughs> and this inspires Ira to write his own essay, which we then see him... Uh, reading to Malcolm, we see him <laughs> concluding the paper, <laughs> and the conclusion of his essay, like, ends 
with him imagining that he's Rocky fighting Mr. T, and he really wishes when he punched him, his mohawk came off. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, when he finishes, he thanks Malcolm for, you know, inspiring him to do this. He says he's never put that many words together before. <laughs> to which Malcolm just says, yeah, it shows. <laughs> <laughs> then after that, uh, the like conclusion of this plot line is we see Ira like excitedly running up to Malcolm to tell him that he got into all of the schools that he applied to. And... Uh, and he, like, lists them off, and it includes Stanford. Malcolm says, uh, Stanford liked your essay? And Ira says, no, I forgot to include it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he does tell Malcolm that it, it wasn't a waste because he turned it in as his math midterm, and he got an A. <laughs> <laughs> then Ira, like, once again, thanks him for believing in him. And showing him that he doesn't need help from all those other people. And Malcolm turns to camera and says that that poor guy, he, he doesn't even know that Stanford's only in the top three for uh, astrophysics programs. <laughs> Malcolm, God. But good for Ira. Good for him. Listen, if other people aren't going to, you know, like help you for real, at least take the handouts they're giving you. <laughs> listen the system failed this kid so he needs this fair well that just leaves the titular plot line the recentered plot line what, what what do you think he called this one eric uh i'm gonna go with ko for kicked out okay okay i think he just went because he was fairly specific with the Stanford. Hmm. So I'm going to guess that he went super basic with this one. Uh, and I think he just called this the A-plot for apartment. I'm really glad I changed it. That was the first one. Damn it! <laughs> that was, damn, that was good. No, it's the B-plot for Bachelor. <laughs> Oi. <laughs> 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 and the only thing the reason i changed it i forgot about the the guys that he makes friends with and so uh after like the third scene where he like comes in and he warns hal like uh what does he say uh the visit vi the visitation part sucks or something like that Real pain like, in oh, yeah. yeah yeah <laughs> it's like i forgot that he was surrounded by all these fucking bachelors and shit so i i <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but you did guess the first name of it. <laughs> <sighs> you son of a bitch. You're a victim of circumstances, Jake. <laughs> Aren't we all? But this plot line starts with Lois sitting at the kitchen table waiting for Hal as he gets home from work. And she immediately tells him that he needs to stay calm. She has something to tell him. <laughs> and when she says that, Hal immediately asks, which boy is in trouble? <laughs> and uh, she says, I'm not going to tell you what happened yet. You're not calm enough. And Hal goes, Reese. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's a reasonable assumption. <laughs> Then, as Lois starts to tell him, uh, they do the 
classic move that, that they will do throughout this episode where she says, Reese, and then it cuts away uh, to the reaction to the story that we never get, as it's just how too angry for words. <laughs> he is just like, yes, <laughs> making sounds. <laughs> then Malcolm comes in, and when he asks what's wrong with Hal, uh, Lois tells him what Reese did. <laughs> And when it cuts to Malcolm's reaction, uh, he's just asking, did they have to evacuate? <laughs> Which really makes me wonder. Right. <laughs> and then Reese comes in from work, and uh, he is talking about how great work was because Vic lost his other one in the meat grinder and the health department shut them down for 15 minutes so they got to go outside and play cash. <laughs> <laughs> then when Lois uh, you know, starts tearing into him saying you know, he's in so much trouble and translating for Hal, who is still... Just, like, stroking out, making sounds that uh, Lois understands what they mean. So she's, like, translating that to Reese. <laughs> I do enjoy the, like, idea of this is such a common occurrence. Lois speaks Hal's gibberish language. <laughs> uh, she does get a little confused, though. She has to ask, well, was that scrambled or strangled? <laughs> well, yeah, it's a second language, Jake. I mean, you know. Uh, yeah, she's just conversational. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you would think that the boys would be privy enough to it, too, being on the receiving end, that they would have picked up on some of it, though, too. But uh, I love how it is just the shorthand between Hal and Lois. And then when Reese asks, you know, what did I even do? It uh, once again does the cutaway, and then it comes back to Reese's defense, which is just that he can name tons of third world countries where that kind of thing happens all the time. <laughs> This is not making it better. <laughs> but, well, never mind. We'll talk yeah, about it later. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it later, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but as Lois continues, like, tearing into Reese, Reese starts yelling back, saying that he worked uh, six hours and he doesn't like coming home just to be yelled at. Then he tells Hal and Lois that they can both just shut up. And at that point, Malcolm turns to camera and explains that in uh, their family, they call this the closer. <laughs> that it's just been determined that Reese will not be living here for the next couple of days. It's just a matter of who gets to take credit. <laughs> then uh, Reese... Hal and Lois all have a race to the front door with Reese giving like a little speech about how he's, uh, you know, leaving home while Hal and Lois are kicking him out. <laughs> and they reach the front door <laughs> at the same time. And Reese like steps out and says, ha, Ty goes to the runner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure, buddy. Sure. Then... Uh, we see Dewey on the phone with Francis. And as Dewey is explaining that, you know, it's been two days and they haven't seen Reese at all. <laughs> saying that usually he's stealing cat food from uh, one of the neighbors by now. <laughs> and 
Francis is, you know, talking about how horrible it is that Hal and Lois uh, kicked Reese out just like they kicked him out when he was 15. And as uh, Francis is, you know, talking about how bad it is, Dewey is clearing uh, Reese's stuff off of his dresser, just like dumping it straight into the trash and replacing it with his stuff. <laughs> While he's downplaying it to Francis, saying, uh, you know, I, I think you're the only one in the family that cares this much. <laughs> as he, like, <laughs> flops down on Reese's bed and starts doing, like, making, like, snow angels on the bed. <laughs> got so much room now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that extra room, he's really enjoying it. Which is fair. <laughs> Having been the younger brother forced to share bedrooms and sometimes beds... With older brothers through my childhood. I 100% get it. <laughs> then uh, their conversation like wraps up as uh, Francis is uh, talking about how, you know, uh, when you're older, you learn to prioritize things. And he's going to explain that to Dewey when he gets there in a couple hours. <laughs> and uh, like in between the like cuts where Dewey is like still clearly in the room and is like cut from Francis like doing his work in a barn to him and his car actively driving to the house. Then uh, we see Reese in his apartment as he has made some muffins and Francis like arrives there. And Reese lets him in and, you know, asks him if he wants any muffins, telling him his timing is perfect. You're a banana walnut, man. And uh, Francis is sort of, uh, like, perplexed by Reese having this, like, fully furnished, nice-looking apartment. Uh, which Reese, like, explains that he can uh, afford this place. Like, if he picks up one extra shift, it's just a week of his work in order to pay rent. And he, like, tells him how good of a deal he got. With the detail that he lied to them and said he was 18 in order to get a two-year lease. <laughs> Semantics. <laughs> if they didn't check ID, that's on them. Right? That's fair. <laughs> but uh, Francis, like, continues to insist that Hal and Lois did something horrible to Reese and that he should be upset that they kicked him out. Uh, but Reese is just sort of, like, continuing to talk about how much he likes living here. And then that is where the, uh, divorcees <laughs> share this apartment building with, uh, Reese come in. <laughs> As they, uh, come in to invite Reese to, uh, go ogle the, uh, nursing students on their smoke break from the roof. <laughs> As they, uh, have their binoculars ready. <laughs> So Greece like introduces them by their like marital status. <laughs> 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 say, say, you know, uh, th this one is divorced. Uh, this one is separated, and then the uh, third guy caught his wife uh, sleeping with his best friend, which the, the guy then clarifies ex best friend. <laughs> that is a fair assertion. It sure is. <laughs> And, uh, the, like, main one that will, like, show up a couple more times, uh, upon seeing that Francis has a, uh, wedding read on, uh, tells him, you know, you better start hiding your money now. <laughs> 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 After their uh, introductions and, uh, like, they, uh, like, leave, Francis tells Reese that, you know, any objective observer would tell him that this place is terrible. 
Then, as if on cue, Malcolm and Dewey walk in to tell Reese how great the apartment is, especially Dewey, who says, if I was you, I would never want to go back home. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, when Francis, like, continues to insist that Reese should be angry, Reese says, okay, then tell me one way my life would be better if I was at home instead of here. <laughs> <laughs> it cuts to Francis leaving with Malcolm and Dewey, with uh, Francis clearly having failed, as Malcolm tells him, You know, that argument about never having to warm up the toilet seat was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> then we follow Francis back to the house where he talks to Hal and Lois, where he starts telling them that they need to go talk to Reese and bring him back home. And uh, he points out that uh, this is just like what they did with him, sending him off to military school. Whenever they get tired of a kid that they don't want to deal with them, they just get rid of them. <laughs> and uh, he says that uh, right now, <laughs> uh, Reese is sitting at his apartment with his cable TV and his Huge stack of video games, miserable. <laughs> <laughs> and when Hal says that Reese brought this on himself, Francis throws back that that's what they always say. You know, this is the tenth time that Reese has quote unquote brought it on himself, that it's happened to Malcolm six times, <laughs> and that with Francis's 28 times, that, that makes. 40 different times that they've brought it on themselves between three kids. <laughs> Which is some uh, solid math on Francis's part there. I was about to ask you if you actually added them up, because I didn't pay attention to what the numbers were at all. Uh, it is, not 40. No. <laughs> I, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. It's 44. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> He rounded down. <laughs> <laughs> Giving Helen Lois the benefit of the doubt, I guess. Well, who wouldn't? <laughs> They're just so lovable. <laughs> and uh, Francis, like, ends his little tirade by pointing out that the one consistency is Hal and Lois. And when they, you know, insist that that's not fair, Francis asks, uh, how long before uh, Dewey brings it on himself? How long before Jamie? And then he, like, looks around and says, wait, where is Jamie? <laughs> and, like, lo looking, uh, you know, very chagrined, <laughs> Al says, he's at the babysitters. But only till five. <laughs> <laughs> then we go back to Reese as he is in bed at his apartment. And he can overhear one of his neighbors, like, crying and talking to his uh, ex-wife, presumably on the phone. Saying, so, so, you know, she, she can take anything, he, uh, even his dignity, and saying, so, you know, he just, just wants to see his kids again. And Reese, like, scoots over to the other side of the bed where he can hear a different neighbor who is actively talking to himself, like, trying to talk himself into committing suicide. And they say, you know, just put the gun in your mouth, you can do it. And Reese, like, calls out, Dave, is that you? And when he says, yes, Reese, like, just yells back out, what are you watching? It sounds way better than what I'm watching. <laughs> oh. so dark. Right? God. <laughs> then, uh, 
we go back to Lois and Hal as they have gone to an expert, as they have gone to a, presumably a child psychologist in order to get some parenting tips. Yeah. <laughs> and when she, you know, asks them uh, how they've fallen into their uh, bad patterns, Lois explains that they always go through the same cycle where the boys misbehave, so they punish them, which leads to the boys uh, severely misbehaving, which causes them to severely punish them, and then they uh, misbehave in such an unimaginable bad way that if they were to respond in kind, they would be taken to prison. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Lois says that, uh, that they really need help. Uh, they, they, as Hal puts it, need a trick in order to stop them. Because uh, Hal's starting to get old. He can still take them individually, but if, but if they gang up on him... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the psychiatrist, like, tells them uh, that they shouldn't treat their children like criminals or animals to be broken in. Uh, but, but when Lois insists, you know, you, you don't know our boys. If you knew what they did, then you would understand. And she says, no... I've been doing this for 40 years, nothing you could say would shock me. And Lois once again tells the story of whatever it is that Reese did. And when it cuts back to her, she is horrified just saying, Oh my god, and what were the cats for? <laughs> to which they just respond, We don't know. Because <laughs> Reese like cat likes cats. God. <laughs> Maybe this is another one that Craig took. Like the, you guys were making the supposition that uh, <laughs> last week that that Craig took the cat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Listen, this lady proves here in just a minute that she's a crackpot. Anyways, her reaction to the story is not a valid gauge. <laughs> just saying, because she's an idiot. <laughs> Did you like this witness removed from the record? <laughs> I would. Her credentials need stripped. <laughs> uh, what's what's that I smell in the distance? Is that the distant uh, smell of bullshit coming? No, that's not bullshit. No, this is I work in. Mm, I work with counselors and psychologists. This is not active listening. This is some biggest pile of crack pot shit i've ever fucking heard she's an md phd david she's got it all under control <laughs> she's an md's nuts uh anyways wow. uh <laughs> well it's hard to argue with that logic <laughs> yeah sure is that's right i just interneted you you're welcome i can do the tick of talk <laughs> uh but yes as david alluded to she does tell them uh, that, you know, there are some things they can do, even, you know, with these extreme cases. And she explains active listening to them, which she describes as uh, modeling back what the speaker says in she order to, you know, show them that they are listening. And she describes Lois... reflections, not active listening. This is some bullshit. <laughs> and Lois, like, is skeptical of this until she does it to her. And uh, as she, like, realizes that that's what she's doing, Lois says, oh, that is good. 
I love how confused Hal looks too because he has no idea what's going on. He's just sitting there like, wait, what? Why did that work? Like, why? What? Why? Why is Lois happening? Right. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> then we go back to Reese as he is uh, sitting in his apartment alone doing his homework, and when the like main neighbor like comes over and invites him to. Go out to Red Lobster with him for Ladies Get Free Shrimp Night. Reese tells him he can't because he uh, is doing all of his homework. And he says that maybe it's, you know, being out on his own, but he's feeling more responsible lately. And the guy tells him he already blew off uh, the air hockey tournament and potluck night. He's not going to take no for an answer. So uh, hearing that, Reese says, okay, I'll go. And then like... Follows him to the door, but then when he gets to the door, just closes and locks it and goes back to doing his homework. Good boy, Reese. Now Teddy has to be on his own to have someone else figure out how to steer the conversation towards his tongue trick. Because that was the reason he wanted Reese to go the most. Yes. <laughs> so gross. Uh, Reese is clearly his wingman. <laughs> Who doesn't want to go to Red Lobster? And pick up chicks with your tongue trick. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm missing out. It's, it's the two thousands. Uh it's probably still viable at this point. <laughs> I don't think t look, Tinder hasn't come along. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gotta do yeah. what you gotta do. <laughs> Yeah, this guy also has a line in his conversation with Reese here. When Reese says he's feeling more responsible, he says, uh, Look at me, I've got three kids, and you don't hear me talking about responsibility. <laughs> That's great. Uh, what a great guy. <laughs> yeah, Jake, he's just out looking for number four. <laughs> uh. Oh. <laughs> this is... This is some, like, uh, classic Craig energy this guy brings. <laughs> God. Uh, but uh, then we see Francis uh, once again uh, talking to Lois as he calls home. And when Hal answers, he says, uh, hello, is... This the home for the most uh, neglectful, uh, emotionally absent parents in the world? And Hal just hands the phone to Lois and says, it's for you. <laughs> <laughs> and he once again starts telling Lois that she needs to uh, go over to Reese's apartment and tell him that they love him and to bring him back home. But Lois says they can't do that with Reese if they show him any weakness. It's like an antelope showing its belly to a hyena. <laughs> and she says that if they, you know, allow that and they allow him to come home without learning his lessons, that they all know in 10 years they'll be speaking their last words to him uh, over a police bullhorn. <laughs> I don't know. Reese would come out with his hands up. It'll be a f it'll be fine. <laughs> when Francis tries to tell them, you know, you you have a kid who uh, needs you. You know, you should go to him. Dewey cuts in <laughs> from the other <laughs> phone, saying, "No, they don't. Everyone's happy with this arrangement." 
No one needs to go talk to Reese. <laughs> I mean, he's not entirely wrong. <laughs> uh, they're uh, cut off from further conversation as Lois is getting another call. And when she takes it, it is Reese's chemistry teacher who says they probably remember him from uh, last year's... Uh... You're hearing... Yes, yes, last year's hearing. <laughs> and when, uh, you know, they find out who it is, they assume that Reese is in more trouble. They ask, what did he do now? <laughs> and it once again, like, uses the, the, the same trick that they've been using to, you know, not tell what Reese uh, has done that's so horrible as it, like, just cuts away. But then uh, when Lois hangs up and Hal asks what it was, she says the teacher said that Reese got an A on his midterm. And they even checked the handwriting to make sure it was his and made him redo the experiments. <laughs> but it, it was really him doing it on his own. And she says the uh, last thing that the teacher said to her is that they should be very proud of themselves because Reese's turnaround has been so amazing. <laughs> and then... Uh, we then go back to Reese, who is eating alone in his apartment, having a conversation with himself about how good the dinner is. Well, it's, it, it was really, it's difficult to hear. Like, of all the times that I have watched this episode, I never heard the audio. I had to really, like, strain myself, uh, like, listen to it, watch it on the computer and listen to it because it was that faint. I always thought that he was talking to, like, the potted plant that he had. He's actually talking through the wall to the neighbor the neighbor says that they were something to the effect that they were eating a half frozen lean cuisine and it's like basically like death or something. So it's there is okay. there is audio there, but it's like, yeah, it's really super faint. Is there? Because there's yeah, not even that's not even it, subtitled. Yeah, it's not even subtitled because uh, I was 100 percent enjoying the Reese talking to a potted plant thing yeah like, I, that was i always thought like I, i've probably seen this episode i don't know 20 times or, or more and i always thought that it was just like he'd been alone for 10 days now he was just breaking because he was lonely you know right and so he was just like talking to the plant now there's definitely it's him talking to his uh his neighbor talking about eating a half frozen oh. lean cuisine so <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I've always thought that was, like, a loneliness thing, too. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was, like, the, the one sign that, that, like, you know, Reese did miss his family. <laughs> I like that better. I think that we should all just, like, collectively agree that uh, that's the headcanon that we're going with is uh, we're using that instead, that he does actually, he's having a psychological break, he does miss his family, and he is talking to the plant. No lean cuisine. Forget I brought anything up. Strike that all from the record. <laughs> <laughs> Too late now. Uh, he can edit yep, it. you've already ruined it, Eric. Oh, no backsies. No, no, it's ruined forever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, his dinner is interrupted as Lois and Hal knock on the door, and when he invites them in, he uh, asks if they're hungry. Says he can make them dinner. Uh, he can make them some frittatas in ten minutes. He has a new convection oven. <laughs> And Hal, like, looks around at the apartment and, and is just, like, amazed that it's spotless clean. <laughs> that's easy and... to do with one person living in a place. Yeah, just that's saying. fair. It, it, yeah. it still is Reese, though. So, I mean, like... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Lois 
tells him that, you know, it goes against uh, all of her instincts, and even as she's saying it, it's hard to do. But they have come to the conclusion that Reese should stay here in this apartment instead of coming home. Because he is doing better than he ever did with them. And uh, Hal points out that, you know, with them he spent uh, more time in uh, the juvenile court system than at school. <laughs> and that, you know, just ten days away and he's become a functioning member of society. Reese says, you know, I, I really must have changed because I don't even want to rub it in. Then <laughs> <laughs> the neighbor from before comes in to bring Reese his mail, telling him that he confiscated the uh, Victoria's Secret catalog. <laughs> and uh, that, that, that's where the uh, line that uh, David alluded to earlier comes in as he uh, seeing how he like leans in, <laughs> assuming Hal is also divorced, says that, Man, these uh, visitation rights are hell, aren't they? <laughs> and, uh, you know, giving Reese all of his mail, uh, Reese, like, looks through it and gets very excited at one of the things that he sees. And he, uh, like, rushes over to the phone and, you know, says, says he has to make a call real quick. And uh, he calls a credit card company to tell them that he wants to uh, take their deal that he wants to transfer all of his uh credit card debt from the other credit cards he has over to them because it has a higher spending limit <laughs> yeah and uh as you know uh, upon hearing this uh lois just walks over takes the phone out of his hand and hangs up <laughs> and she asks uh, do you have credit cards and uh, Reese explains that, yeah, he has, you know, three credit cards. He's basically just been building up more and more debt as they keep giving him higher and higher spending limits. <laughs> and they are shocked to learn that he has racked up $11,000 of debt in these 10 days. <laughs> and, and when they ask how, he says, well, he bought the new convection oven, and once he did that, the old refrigerator was looking kind of crappy next to it so he had to replace that and i mean i get that though <laughs> and he also explains that he's been buying new clothes anytime his old ones get dirty and he has a giant gong in the bathroom <laughs> that's my favorite now that one's weird i'll give you that i'll give you that <laughs> Then upon hearing all of this, Lois just grabs him by the ear, hard enough to, like, drag him down to his knees, <laughs> and, like, start dragging him home literally, talking about how she hasn't decided yet how she's going to punish him, but she wants to thank him for uh, making her realize that she's been right all along. <laughs> And she's really going to take her time to figure out how to punish him. She doesn't want to disappoint either of them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they literally drag him away. And then the last little bit we get is in the last scene with Malcolm. Uh, before he, like, talks to Ira, he uh, is talking to Camera first. And he explains that it's been a full month and Lois is still finding new ways to punish Reese. And she must be doing something right, because he has a gray streak in his hair now. <laughs> <laughs> uh... And 
And that wraps this episode up, so let's go to our awards. Yeah. Awards. And as usual, we will begin with our Roller Skating Keen Award, our award for the best visual moment. And as usual, as our guest, feel free to go first, oh, Eric. Thank you very much. I chose uh, Hal's gibberish freakout when Lois uh, tells him <laughs> what Reese did. Like, just the, the contortion on his face and the the way that he's, his hands get curled up and he's just doing all the gesturing, to just the exaggerated moments. The things that he does and then the whole gibberish speech, it, the, it just had me in stitches. It's It was so good. Fair enough. What did you have, David? So I ended up, uh, I had to change mine because originally mine was Reese talking to the plant. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I love that scene. It looks so good. It's so great. And then Eric just <laughs> carpet right out from under me. Um, so instead, I'm going with Dewey while he's scooping everything into the trash. <laughs> Because that is such a little brother thing to do, and it's so funny. <laughs> yep, that, that that was my first choice, and my backup was Eric's <laughs> choice, so I'll go with my third choice. <laughs> Which is the trio of divorced dads. <laughs> okay, especially the maid one, who's just, like, always wearing some variation of a Hawaiian shirt and, like... Either slacks or like cargo shorts, <laughs> but like that, all three of them just have like such good wardrobe choices for uh, div recently divorced dad energy. <laughs> totally. <laughs> then moving on to our next award, what did you give your hot dog with mustard award? Your award for the best line. It's when you, we already made mention of it before. It's when. Uh, right after Hal's gibberish when they're trying to determine who's going to get credit for the kickout and uh, Reese's tie goes to the runner. Like, it's not inherently hilarious per se, but it's uh, it's one that always makes me laugh every time I see it. And it's just stuck with me, like, since the very first time that I saw it. I, it's one that I never, ever forget. I, it just it tickles me every single time. Like, is how confident he is with it. Like knowing, like you would think that he would be scared. Like, oh, oh my God, what am I gonna do? Where am I gonna stay? Like, where am I gonna go? Because it's already been established he doesn't have a lot of friends, so he's like ostensibly out on his own. But it's just like both of them wanted so badly to have something to hold on to. Like being the one that was responsible for either getting, like kicking him out or leaving. And just the confidence that he says the tie goes to the rudder. It's just so great. I, I love it so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a solid line. Uh, what did you go with, David? So I actually, uh, I, I vacillated a couple different times. Uh, I, th I feel like I'm saying that more and more often. The lines are just getting harder and harder to choose from. Um but I ended up going with uh, Francis's line when he's talking to Hal and Lois. And uh, Lois tells him, it's really none of your business. You haven't lived here in quite some time. And he just screams, because you kicked me out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just, it's so funny. It's so perfect. And it it is like the perfect exchange to encapsulate Francis's relationship to Lois. I love it. <laughs> You're not wrong. 
I had to go with the line that I heard in real life multiple times unrelated to this show throughout my childhood from how we're taking you ear. Uh, if the rest of you wants to come, that's fine too. <laughs> that was that was my that was my second choice. I love that. <laughs> Because that was my mom's go-to line, and some variation of that line is always what my dad would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched. Uh, I watched his mom and my mom take his older brother down when he was eighteen once by his ear and like drag him to the ground, and then my mom sat on him while his mom paddled him because he was eighteen, and he decided he could tell my grandma he wasn't gonna take out the trash. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm 32 now, and I don't give a shit. If that woman tells me to take out the trash, I'm going because otherwise, I know I'm going to be physically assaulted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. W watching Lois do this to Reese was physically <laughs> painful for me. Right. <laughs> I never I never got the ear treatment except for the one time I decided to do the whole like fake pierced ear thing, and they had magnetic earrings. And my mom swears that she knew it was magnetic. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> I think my mom's just a fucking savage. But, like, I came in, and uh, I, I, like, walked in, and I was like, hey, mom. And she saw it, and she just, without, like, at Bruce Lee speeds, just boom, and grabbed it <laughs> oh and my God. pinched it together and pulled it out. Oof. And I'm like, ah, it hurts so bad. Uh, and I'm just like, I'm glad I didn't actually get my yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Moving on to our next award. Which of these plot lines did you choose as the A plot of your heart? Yeah, the, the titular plot line, the Reese apartment. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm so good. So good. Yep, same. What about you, David? I also gave it to the Bachelor plot line. Yeah. <laughs> And who did you choose as your favorite character? Yeah, a little on the nose with this one, but I went with Reese because, as I said at the top, I, I really love the Reese-centric episodes where he has a chance to kind of carry the plot and, and shine. And it felt for a lot of it that he was really, like kind of really growing as a person, and then, pow, it just ends up the same old Reese at the end. But along the way, we got to enjoy quite a bit of, of stuff there, so... I think this is a different variation of Reese that, that we've seen. I mean, re really, like, in the end, it's just his stupidity around finances that is, like, his undoing. I also chose Reese because I love this episode. And, I, I mean, all the same things Eric said. Uh, and then also, I think that this is, shows an interesting dynamic with Reese. Reese is, Reese is the type of character who... Uh, feeds off chaos if he's not if he's not in a chaotic environment then he's not as chaotic and it'll be interesting to see if they address that more in the future uh, fair enough i actually didn't go with reese as my favorite character for this episode i went with francis uh, because i like having this sort of slightly different uh iteration of the francis versus lois <laughs> you know dynamic I, I like him sort of being the like advocate to try to prevent the other kids from going through what he went through and like stepping in and trying to help Reese. It's obvious that like his issues are like, you know, entangled in there with why he's helping Reese. But, but yeah, I, there's a lot of projection there. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which is actually part of why Francis is my favorite character. <laughs> but because I do like that he clearly can't see his, like, flaws in all of this. He only sees the areas where Hal and Lois are fucking up. Okay, okay. And uh, moving on to our next award, who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award? Your award for the best acting. Oh, wait, Eric goes first. <laughs> you can go first, wow, David. That's wow. No, 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 please go. Try to steal from the guest. <laughs> no, I'm just very excited to get to the next award. He, he, for, he actively <laughs> forgot while I was here that we were supposed to be doing the episode together. <laughs> right? Listen, I have literally been sunbaked for the last two days. I am surprised I am existing. Fair enough. I went with Brian Cranston, like the the whole Hal freak out, the gibberish stuff that we were talking about when they find out what Reese did. It's a, just a lot of physical comedy, which he's superb at. Uh, it just had a lot of priceless facial expressions. And uh, I mentioned it before, the look of confusion that he gives in the psychologist's office, like when he has no idea what's going on. He does a lot of that all the time, like where it's just... It's so understated and unspoken stuff, just subtle stuff that you have to actually be looking at him to catch. Because if you're just going for the verbal gags, you will miss so much in the show. And a lot of that is with Hal. Like, he had a lot more facial expressions when Reese was on the phone. Like, it was just silent. Just the looks that were being exchanged between Hal and Lois and just the facial expressions he had there. Were, again, he was just so understated in this but so great as always i know it's kind of a cop-out answer like we give it to brian cranston a lot but i mean he's good he's he's a treasure so who did you choose david brian cranston uh, i love his physical comedy stuff and 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 all the subtlety but even more than that like i i enjoy his ability to make this writing believable this is literally an episode where like a third of his interaction is gobbledygook <laughs> and it seems so real like my dad never devolved into gibberish but the the way that he portrays this and shows this and and kind of acts it feels like that very authentic like fatherly anger of when you've really really fucked up and like i i definitely have seen that and it felt very real watching Cranston do this, so I uh, I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, yes, I also took the cop-out answer of <laughs> Brian Cranston. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard not to, though. It's just so good. He really is. <laughs> I do want to tip my hat real quick, though, to uh, uh, Justin Burfield in this episode, because he was fucking phenomenal. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, for sure. And moving on to our next award, what did you give your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the moment or detail that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. <laughs> David's praying that I didn't take his, but I think I might because I... <laughs> Excellent. I think it's, uh, it's going to be a funny one because none of us are NASCAR fans... No reaction from David, so I guess uh, I'm in the clear. Yeah, <laughs> none of us are NASCAR fans. We have no idea what we're talking about. But the sign at the head of Reese's bed that Dewey lays down on while talking to Francis on the phone said property of number 44 Kyle Petty. And the good old Wikipedia machine uh, told me that the number 44 car was in operation from 1997 to 2000. So definitely a short time period and within that time of release. So Okay. 
David, what did you have for your OK Boomer Award? See, there's this Kellogg's box. Yeah, that's right. There's <laughs> there's some Pop Tarts in the. No. <laughs> Mine was actually uh, I had two of them, and I'm really glad I didn't have to use my backup. The convection oven. So even though. The convection oven was technically, I think, invented in 1945. They didn't start gaining popularity and becoming available in uh, like an affordable range for most households until the 2000s. You didn't see a lot of non like high dollar convection ovens until the the mid 2000s there. So that puts it like right into that. And I know that because I sold appliances for way too long. <laughs> So the fact that he made a big deal about the convection oven was just like a perfect thing for me for this episode. I gave my OK Boomer award to it foreshadowing the incoming uh, housing market crash. <laughs> As we see uh, Reese doing like exactly what would like destroy the economy like two years after this as he's just like taking more and more credit that he clearly can't afford and that's it uh, it's to the point that i had to like look up like did that happen a few years earlier than i remembered is this like a <laughs> what like commentary on this <laughs> but it's not I, I think it's just the writers observing you know this clear problem that was very obvious that somehow still you know didn't get addressed at all until a couple years later, when it toppled the entire economy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was my backup. Then <laughs> <laughs> that just leaves shittiest and least shitty kid. Uh, who did you have as your least shitty kid, Eric? Uh, I chose Malcolm. And I'm, again, I'm waiting for uh, the excuse that uh, David has for trying to argue for him being shittiest in this episode because he he goes with some stretches, but he always comes up with something. So, but I mean, in this one, like I don't think that he does anything really shitty. Like when he's actually shitty towards Lois, he had a reason to be shitty because Lois was actually just parroting everything he was saying. She wasn't helping him at all, so he was kind of justified in like being upset and frustrated with that situation. He also went out of his way to help Ira. Like, he tried to get out of it initially, which would have been, like, a shitty thing to do. You know, tried to pawn it off like he had too much stuff, like midterms and everything. But then he legitimately tried to help Ira. And, you know, he even instilled a sense of belief in Ira at the end that he could do it on his own. And he also kind of stuck with the moral high ground of not cheating and letting him get in under false pretenses. Like... He did have him <laughs> do it. And yeah, just like everybody else, including Stanford and uh, Tulane and all those other schools, we're just going to let it, let him uh, just get in um, free and clear without having to do any work on his own. But uh, Malcolm made sure that he did. And uh, yeah, for that, I think he didn't do anything really shitty. Yeah, no, I, I'm in agreement. I also chose Malcolm as least shitty good. It seems very obvious this episode. I don't even know who else you could really consider as least shitty kid because uh not only is he not least shitty he's, he's a good kid this episode not even close. All, he, all he does is help someone no he doesn't yes he does no he he has a moral obligation and fails to it what yes Who? he fails absolutely how we'll talk about that in a minute oh my god we're okay. not who on did you, shittiest who did you kid have yet? as least shitty kid then david i had reese 
Uh-huh. Look, I know your whole if we don't see it happen on screen thing. Yeah. Is Ed playing here, but you're insane. No, no, I'm not. Look, Reese passed his midterm. He improved himself. He is showing that he's capable of living on his own. He's also showing that he's earning a living. He is making financial movements that financial gurus are all about, which is a dumb thing unless you have a way to deal with it. Uh, very dumb idea, but there are still people who uh, advocate for this type of, it's free money and basically just constantly keep it moving. And that way you never actually pay this debt off, which is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. But anyways, you see people on TikTok still telling people to do that shit. He is being very responsible. He's taking care of himself. He is reacting to a unrealistic reaction from his parents. He takes responsibility for himself and is able to actively better his life and behave in a way that society expects him to, which is way better than he has ever done. Ever. He is actively behaving the way society wants him to. This is literally, we have whole ass programs designed to get people to do this, and Reese goes and does it on his own. Yeah, that, there's there's that bullshit I smelled coming earlier. <laughs> it's not bullshit. <laughs> wow, it, it wafted all he the way did. here into the deserts of Illinois. I can smell it all the way from there. <laughs> uh, he, he did something so horrifically bad that his only defense was this sort of thing happens in third world countries all the time that potentially required evacuation that involved a bunch of cats for some reason. Once again, bringing in Reese's Penchant for animal cruelty and harm. Listen, the only people whose reactions we see are the family and the psychologist. The psychologist sucks. Already. <laughs> exactly. Can... His family, who's used to dealing with his normal stuff, is acting like this is the worst thing by far he has ever done. <laughs> they yeah, specifically but... say this is the worst thing that he's ever done. That every time they lower the bar, he takes it as a challenge and that he's done even worse. Which means this is at minimum worse than mass poisoning, worse no, than kidnapping, both of which we've seen him do on screen. Allegedly. Allegedly. The poisoning, now. I will not no, I defended that already. <laughs> that was thrown out. Uh, that is still no, in litigation. No, just because you defended it doesn't mean it was thrown out, David. Oh, no. It's still in litigation, Jake. No, it's um, not. He was found guilty. No, no. Litigation. Look, it's we searched his safe. No, 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 you did not. Also, how dare you compare me? Look. I didn't go to law school, and I'm still a better lawyer than Trump's lawyers. Fuck off. Uh, anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> moving past all of that. Uh, okay, let's let's go we, to shittiest kid. What? What? Fuck what, you. I'm sorry, was your, was your rant not over <laughs> about Reese being Lee Shitty Kid? I was responding to your bullshit. His family could very easily be overreacting, Jacob. They have a tendency to do that consistently. We have a history of them doing that. And again, that psychologist, I can tear apart her credentials. She's fucking awful. Um, look, she sucks. We don't really have anything concrete to go off here. And regardless, even if, let's say, he did do the absolute most horrible thing. Okay? Let's say that. 
there was an action taken. He received a consequence. He then turned his life around and behaved the way that society wants him to behave, which is literally the entire point of diversion and reformation programs. He literally did the program. He was doing everything he was supposed to. And I will argue that the only thing that brings him back to the shitty Reese that we know and love is that he went back to the Wilkerson household. <laughs> With massive debt. Yes. <laughs> Correct. But again, this is the 2000s. That does not surprise me at all. I know people who legitimately did this because they were advised to do it by, like, people who were more well-off than them. And yes, when the economy crashed, they got fucked. But that's... I mean, this was a legitimate thing that people were doing. I can't fault him for that as it being him being shitty. It's him being as uneducated about the financial crisis and, and how finances work as literally every adult around him, pretty much. So, yeah, no, I, I would argue that, yes, Reese did shitty things, but the ending and his ability to show that he was able to conform to societal norms and behave the way that he was supposed to, according to society, is him being least shitty. I guess even being racked with an incredible amount of guilt is like him conforming to society in a, in a really fucked up way. So It is. He's just becoming like everybody yeah. else. So. Well, I mean, that's, that's, making, that's making the supposition that... You know, doing the right thing is conforming to society, which I don't think is inherently true. So, for Shittiest Kid, because of how much I lost you guys last time by making too many assumptions <laughs> about off-screen murders and whatnot, although uh -huh. I will, I would like to point out <laughs> that the listeners who did vote in the Twitter polls did agree with me, so I, I will... Uh, <laughs> I will stay on that high horse forever. But even still, I'll refrain from making any wild accusations this time. So even though the whole genesis of the episode starts with something heinous that Reese did, it was before the episode started. We only got bits and pieces of the answers. So I will omit that from the evidence and only go off of what we saw happen in the episode. And it's still Reese because he racks up that $11,000 in debt in only 10 days. The family has enough financial difficulty as it is. And now they'll be saddled with this too, because you really think that they're going to like put all the, because they are still good enough parents to not put all that on him. Yeah. I'm sure they're going to make him pay the majority of it himself while he has a job, but I'm sure that they're going to help him out where they can too. Obviously they've got their own financial difficulties so that's going to be difficult i mean i will say like the shittiest thing that we did see anyone do was dewey like throwing all of reese's things in the trash uh and so i really wanted to give it to him but uh also trying to be legitimate like reese did a lot of really good things i agree with most of what david was saying but at the end like yeah he still did like the shittiest thing of the, the episode and and saddling his family with a, a lot, you know, <laughs> double-digit debt again. The average American is in $30,000 or more credit card debt at this point in history. Uh, like, it's fine. <laughs> uh, I, I also went with Reed, but mostly because of the off-screen stuff. Because he did something so bad, it's literally unspeakable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and... On top of that, we do also see him in this uh, episode celebrating a co-worker 
seemingly having lost some body part in a meat grinder, presumably a finger or hand. He says the other one, so probably a full hand. And he's like, yeah, it was great. We got to play catch. Reese, obviously shittiest kid of this no, episode. I think he was, he was mad because of his six-hour shift. They had to play catch up. They, the, well, I was wondering about the health department only shut them down for 15 minutes, but he had to say they had to play catch up. The rest of the day, like, uh, yeah, okay. he wasn't gotcha. he wasn't playing catch, but I do like that head cannon as well. Like he's he's playing catch ostensibly with the hand that somebody lost and found. <laughs> <laughs> now, if that had happened, fair, I could see I could see some argument there. But again, he reformed, and I'm a big believer in 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 becoming reformed. Um, yeah. So why why I'm, did you choose Malcolm as shittiest kid, David? Okay, listen. So, Malcolm, uh, this motherfucker has a moral obligation to help this student uh -huh. and fails to do so because he is so egotistical and so self-absorbed in his own writing prowess, which, by the way, wasn't that great anyways, that he literally stops helping him at all and completely ignores him and continues to go down this stupid freaking self-absorbed rabbit trail and writes these hundreds of letters that are not him actually trying to help this kid, actually trying to educate him, actually trying to better his life in any way at all. And instead is just him being self-absorbed and getting lost in his own prose and ability to write, which is par for the course for Malcolm's self-absorbed thinking. This is a kid who clearly has been completely failed by the system. I, and I've been there. I get it. But Malcolm doesn't try to help him at all. The best thing Malcolm does here is refuse to cheat. And even that is a moral, like, dilemma for him. Well, it, no, the best thing he does is get him to actually do the work himself. Like, the, the thing that you're saying he didn't do that he did in the episode... That he didn't do. There's a, that he did there's do. A, no, he, he, wrote the, he wrote the essay, and by the look uh -huh. of it, it's a very long essay. <laughs> Right, but getting someone just to do the work is not helping them. I can tell you to... Yes, I, it is. Especially in that particular situation where the problem is that no one is making him do work and just letting him go through. As, listen, David, this is the area where you're going into my expertise with my uh -huh. degree in education. Yes, getting him to yeah. do the work is absolutely the first step that Malcolm does here that no one else is willing to do. In this failing system, he's the only one who reaches out to Ira and gets him to do this thing, this important first step. He absolutely did. He absolutely improved this kid's life. He absolutely did a moral good here. Without any education or steps. This is like telling you to go dig a ditch and giving and you a spoon. This <laughs> is the step. We see him do the step. The first step, which he does in this episode because you're Malcolm right, you're gets right. him to. Every, every fifth grader should write a 12-page essay. Correct. Because no, and they, we see him they like don't know how to write. To we they don't see know how to write, so they should do it. The first step is just go do the essay. They don't know how to write. They don't know how English is. You're he saying the first step He does know how to write. He did it. He wrote it. He did the work. He did the thing. Your argument doesn't hold any water. That's not true. And we also hear <laughs> yes, that it's absolutely him. shit. Yeah, we and hear that it's, that it's bad. 
That's yeah. fine. He did the thing. He took no. the step. He he. Yes, he did. He fucking wrote it. You're literally disputing reality at this point. <laughs> First of no. all, I love David's no, dedication not. to the bit. I love the fact that he continues to come up with these cockamamie reasons <laughs> every single episode. I love your dedication to the bit. But I want to know, I want your reasoning behind why it's Malcolm's moral obligation to help this kid no one else literally no one else even the coach is saying that this kid is so beyond hope that it's someone else's responsibility to do something why is it malcolm's moral responsibility listen at the point when he has already got him at his house at this point now he has a moral obligation to help this kid now before that i agree no he had no obligation to help this there's a lot of other people who did who failed we're, but I can't give it to characters who aren't the boys. All right? You you guys have shot me down for that several times because there's definitely worse people in a lot of these episodes than even the three boys, okay? But no, legitimately, I, I really do, actually. You guys accuse me of bullshit. No, I think Malcolm didn't help this kid at fucking all. That's that's absurd. He absolutely did. That is more... Okay. That, look, you were nitpicking that therapy earlier. That, to me, what you are doing right now is the equivalent from an education standpoint of that. That is such an asinine claim. He I absolutely helped I, him. I, no, he didn't. He didn't teach him anything and then said, go do the assignment. If you don't learn anything, what the fuck does doing David, the assignment actually do? Ira even said yeah. himself, because he said before, he's like, I'm scared of words. There's like hundreds of them. And then at the very uh -huh. end, he wrote the essay on his own, and he says, thank uh -huh. you, Malcolm. He thanks Malcolm. Why would sure. he be thanking him if he didn't feel himself like he had earned something? And also, he said, this yeah. is the most words that I've ever put together. And Malcolm was kind of shitty in the way that he said, yeah, and it shows. He was super shitty yeah, with that. I agree, but Ira himself was thanking him for that because he felt empowered that he did do the work on his own and he did put a self <laughs> a sense of self-accomplishment does not mean learning or progression that just means i feel good about the fact that i smashed this window he with did, a rock but he said like he put <laughs> the most amount of words on the page that he'd ever done before so that was that that shows inherent growth it does show that he grew as a person yes and he, he did and something he he'd never done yes. before sure Malcolm's but, not his educator, and he still did a better job of education in this episode than anyone else apparently has, at least, like, through high school for this kid. And we do, while well, it does, admittedly, like, end up getting distracted by Malcolm getting, like, caught up in his own narcissism, he does start, help, like, teaching him how to, like, start an essay at the beginning. We do see him, like, taking, mm -hmm. like, the initial before he gets distracted. And then we get, we watch him inspire this kid to do a thing that he has never done before. I'm not calling Malcolm a good teacher. I'm saying what he did was a good thing. Because if they're not going to engage, if they're not going to try to do things, it doesn't matter how good of a teacher you are. You cannot teach them. That is the literal first step in any education process. The first step that this kid has lacked that Malcolm has done. Don't shake your fucking head. <laughs> this is a literal principle in education. A that thing has... that I am trained in. That, mm -hmm. that is, like, proven consistently through, like, psychology. How? <laughs> because I had four... Okay, Jake will remember this. I've had four different professors in college that their whole thing was, teach yourself this. I, I know you don't know anything, but here's a bunch of work. Go fucking do it. And if I didn't have Google to actually teach me anything or a phone call to my cousin who was working on his master's, I wouldn't have been able to pass the fucking class because these teachers are 
doing anything, but they're saying, go do the work. And I could do the work. I was willing to do the work, but I wasn't learning or bettering myself any. Exactly. You were willing to do the work. That's the first step. That's the thing you're saying was absent, but it was there. All that shit you just described, that's what he's doing here. No, but you're talking about Ira. Ira's willing to do the work. That's fine. No, he's not. You don't know <laughs> he that. Does, he doesn't even you know, don't know what that. class was. He had never when been When he's to put a into before. a position to do the work, he does it. Yes. When this Malcolm the first puts him in the been... position. When Malcolm gives him the opportunity for the first time in his oh, life. Yes. Lord. Correct. Wow. You're talking about completely different things. You're talking... Again, Malcolm, not a good teacher here. I will agree to that. The people who did that to you, not good teachers. That's not the issue. Yeah. That's, we're still saying he definitely did shitty things. And he's still... An absolute narcissist. But is he the least shitty yeah. one and of the Wilkerson boys in this episode? Absolutely. No, he didn't <laughs> teach him anything. He was in a position where he could have taught this kid. Because we've seen him tutor before. And, well, he could have taught this kid something and actually bettered his life. Did he give him motivation? Okay, maybe. Did he put him in a position that no one else has put him into before? Sure. But I think that says more to Ira's character than Malcolm's. Yes, it says more that even all the teachers and the coaches and even his own parents, his mom says he has other good qualities because even his mom says uh-huh. that he's a worthless like sack of shit, essentially, that he's right. too stupid. Right, I think you guys like, are mixing Ira and Malcolm here, though. No, no, because Malcolm, Malcolm specifically says, you're, mm-hmm. everyone has just been doing all this stuff because they think you're stupid. Uh-huh. You're not. You can do this uh-huh. and helps them do it. Like... Guilt gives him the self-actualization that no one, not even his own parents, Even that is so sarcastic, though, when he says that to him? No, no, no. He's sarcastic and shitty later when he actually gets into the schools, but there, no. I think he's genuine. Do you? I did not get that at all. Well, that's also Malcolm's nature, just that he's that kind of shitty and narcissistic and just that much of, like, uh, he has that abrasive personality in the first place but he did give so i'm right no he still gave he was still the least shittiest of the wilkerson boys and he also did give ira more training and more teaching moments than he had ever had literally in his entire life from anyone teachers or his own parents even so yeah and it wasn't his moral responsibility he got roped into it against his own will. I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of with David on that part. Yeah, no, he has <laughs> I, a moral. I agree that he didn't start with a moral responsibility, but neither did I when I got sat next to a football player in English class. However, once I was given an assignment to swap papers with him and realized that he was incapable of writing, I had a moral obligation to try to do the best I could to help this person learn, which I did. Only because you yourself are a good person. Malcolm, we've already established, is not a good person. So we're saying that in this instance, he actually went way above and beyond what Malcolm would normally do, who has like that self-centered kind of sarcastic outlook. Yeah, absolutely. He went far above and beyond what Malcolm would typically do. He doesn't care about anyone but himself most of the time. And he actually taught this kid a lesson more than anybody else had ever taught him ever. I Again, not really. (laughs) Yes, he, really. No, he gave him an opportunity to do work. Which no one had ever had done before. It, Everyone else thought, Ira, you are too stupid. All you can focus on is football and being the best football right. player that you are. You are too stupid to do anything, so you don't need to go to class. You don't have to do homework. You don't have to take a which test. Malcolm you don't also have to, agrees with. But Mal- when? Malcolm made when him do Malcolm it on When does Malcolm call him stupid? He never calls him stupid, but he definitely treats him like he's stupid, which is part of his whole narcissistic 
like obsession with his writing. It's it's I would agree with your points, Jake, except for in his moment of instruction, it becomes it goes from the questionings and trying to teach him how yes. to write to move the fuck over, you dumb slob. I'll do it myself. But the, that's you, like, reading <laughs> into the character. I, I agree. That's it's like a narcissist. No, it's not. Okay, when did, okay, then when did Malcolm call him a dumb slob and say, get out of the way? Because all the things I'm saying literally happened, literally happened in the episode. That is you reading into Malcolm's character. No, it's, he literally takes the pad and I'll do it. And Only starts after going. He asked oh, that's the, that is literally what he does. Yeah. Correct. Not what you said earlier. He got Ira's input because most of the people were, again, I'm making an assumption myself here, but I'm assuming that most of the teachers aren't even looking for his input. They're just passing him, giving him a passing grade to keep him eligible for football. Malcolm is at least uh-huh. giving Presumably. Ira the input and saying, like, what was your first memory? What's your biggest fear? He's involving Ira. Just because Ira legitimately is an idiot, Malcolm at least didn't, he was like, okay, yeah, we can use that. Like, Oh, you're afraid of waffles? Like, I I find what is he like? Yeah. Oh, that was the most. Oh, that was the most bullshit <laughs> thing ever. Because that had nothing to do with anything. Come on, Malcolm's writing sucks ass. That is true. Also, to to that point, when he does like finish his like admittedly like narcissistic self-aggrandizing like paper, he then turns to him and says, "Okay, now we are going to like put this in your words. Now, now it's time for like you to get involved." And Ira takes it and walks away. While Malcolm is telling him, wait, we're not done. Yeah. So, like, all the stuff, you're like, Malcolm didn't do this. He tried, and Ira didn't give him a chance to. And then Malcolm still fi- found a way to make it right. Like, look, he, he wasn't a perfect kid. To, to use your terminology, he was, he was no perfect angel in this episode, but he was a, a decent kid. Nah. <laughs> We've seen him be a better teacher than this and tutor than this. Again, though, we're not judging them on are they a good teacher. We're asking are they shitty, and in this episode, not shitty. Yeah, he's shitty for the most part. We, yeah, shitty moments. We did all, but he left shitty. Ira behind. But it's okay. We'll we'll create a program later on that'll definitely work. <laughs> uh, there won't be anyone graduating high school that can't read ever again. Also, Ira seems to be able to read and write. That's why he's not getting left behind, Jake. Well, exactly. <laughs> Okay, well, that wraps up our <laughs> awards, but we have a couple segments left, beginning with the Cranston Connection, which is where we connect uh, the disparate roles played by Brian Cranston, as we have decided that in some form they are all the same character. Uh, what did you have as your Cranston Connection, David? This is, uh, and the uh, inevitable crash coming, uh, is actually where we see what spurs uh, our wonderful Hal when he takes on his next uh, couple of lives to start to go through a metamorphosis of careers as we see Cog has already been expended by the CIA as their burn. They still keep it around so that it's not uncovered that that's what that company was, however, but that means no more federal, you know, wage increases, things like that. So as things continue to worsen within the country, Hal's wages never go up. And when things finally crack and he's forced to strike out on his own, he is left with this uh, $11,000 debt plus all the rest of the debt from the family, as well as the compounding interest on that, which, of course, no one forgave or did anything about during the crash. And that's what uh, leads him to pursue 
uh, more and more financial stability in his career options. And that uh, that change and metamorphosis of careers started here with this debt. Okay. That is a, a, fair, a reasonable Cranston connection, David. Uh, and next up, we have WTF is COG, in which we try to determine what Hal's uh, work, which is known by the abbreviation COG, does and what that acronym stands for. And as our guest once again, Eric, I'm going to put you on the hotspot and say WTF is COG, Eric. I was actually prepared for this one, Jake. Uh, I'm going with the... <laughs> It's the one that I wanted to use before when we were when you first busted this on me. Uh, it was, but the episode hadn't aired yet. But now it has, so I could bust it out. It's covert operations glurb. I was waiting for that all along. Uh, it's from Hal's uh, super spy interview. Um, when he when he went in for the interview, his brain was completely completely scrambled from that uh, that interaction, which now leads to his disassociative state with the gibberish that only Lois can understand when he gets uh, to that reaches that point of stress that he achieved when he was having fireworks thrown at him and and whatnot, and when he heard like the level two shots being fired. Yeah, and then glurb, because, you know, that's obviously what he says, like, as the affirmative, because um, I'm guessing glurb is that gibberish word for yes, uh, because Malcolm asked, like, they had to evacuate, and he says glurb, like, to the affirmative. So, covert operations <laughs> glurb. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, obviously the, oh my God. the answer to the acronym. <laughs> what the <laughs> <laughs> okay uh that's great but i am a little bit confused by the logic of it does like everyone who goes through this end up with the same nonsense speech then of course that's how it's a secret language for covert operatives and you know just oh because hal never has any kind of secrets from lois he obviously shared shared what that language was but she's not you know she has to learn it kind of on the sly so that's why she's not fully up to speed and, and you know doesn't doesn't know some of the uh, some of the words okay okay, okay. oh my god and then they've named their organization naturally over operations yes using the secret language for only one covert operations yes not all three. That'd be too crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like naming an initiative No Child Left Behind where we leave a bunch behind. Jake, it's called it's called hiding in plain sight. They have to be a little bit on the nose with that so that people would be like, what is this gibberish? Like, we're certainly... we Those are clearly lunatics. We're not going to look any, any more into that. We're going to let that go by the wayside. Oh... <laughs> oh. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. Yeah, but I'm the crazy person. <laughs> uh, look, there's there's plenty of room for two crazy people on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all mad here. I think I uh <laughs> I think I showed my craziness last time. <laughs> with all the, the, yeah, the suppositions. That's true. So I yeah. think that's, it kind of tracks. People will expect that from me. So, 
Yeah, this was more coherent than your Francis committed double homicide <laughs> argument from last time. That's fair. <laughs> this just contained a secret language. It's much more reasonable. <laughs> we saw evidence of it, though. It's it's certainly something that Hal speaks that Lois can understand. So that's true. Uh, well, <laughs> that just leaves David's guessing game. Uh, which you were correct that you had uh, seen this episode before, but despite that, there were a few things that you got wrong. Yeah, I definitely mixed this one with a different episode in my head. You did. As you, you, you were correct that uh, it would center around Reese getting kicked out and going out and finding his own apartment. Uh, but you, you thought that the uh, like conclusion, the, like the thing that would send Reese home, is that he wouldn't be able to pay his rent, which wasn't quite the case. I gave you partial credit for that as it was like a financial issue, though it was a different one. Uh, you were also correct that Malcolm uh, had to tutor a uh, football player who it was like going off to college. Uh, you got that completely correct. But the big thing that you took a swing on that you were wrong is you thought that Dewey uh, would like steal Hal's credit card and go on a spending spree and like play on his own birthday because his birthday had been forgotten but his birthday was involved in the episode. That is true. That is true. It, it did come up in the cold open. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but with all of that, you, you did pretty well. You, uh, you know, got the, like, like basis of it, so I gave you an 85%. I think the... Do, all right, did all you, right. Aside from the Dewey thing, you did pretty well. Well, did you factor in the fact that his birthday was mentioned? I think that's worth, you know, a couple, three points at least. I think I should bump it up to an 88. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't know. I think we should send David out to, like, do the work himself and, you know, figure out where, where it went wrong. I did. And I will. <laughs> we don't want him to get left behind, Eric. <laughs> Can't have that. No. Okay, I, I have given him an extra 3%. So you got an 88, as we have declared that Eric is the... Uh, superintendent of this segment he sure is yep <laughs> down with the school board oh wait, wait. Oh, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah i was gonna say jake agrees with me on that one i mean there's let's, let's, let's not get out there, there's a weird thing going on with school boards uh, <laughs> but uh what do you think happens next week in the episode that i forgot to write down what it Don't is. Don't worry. I know what it is. Yeah? Yeah. Because it popped up on the list when we loaded up Hulu. That is It's uh, Malcolm Visits College or something like that, right? Yeah, it's Malcolm Visits College. Okay. I've been thinking about this one. And obviously, Malcolm is going to go tour a college. What gave that away? Are you sure? Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> no, um, I think Malcolm is going to go do the like stereotypical, you know, like... Go look at the college thing, probably with Lois, I would assume, because I think Lois has a bigger, like, stake in his education than Hal. Like, Hal wants him to become educated and become the president and take care of them one day, but he's not really, like, the parent who's going to be, you know, like, taking steps to have that happen. He's right. just going to assume Malcolm has that covered. Uh, <laughs> I think Lois would be the one, like... Behind him. Also, the control freak aspect of Lois. Like, you can't go to this school. I saw a girl in a bikini. Like, Jesus. Um, And I think, and I hope, 
that Malcolm gets into it with an academic of some sort. And okay. I think we're gonna we're gonna see like uh Malcolm trying to argue with and piss off some sort of academic uh that he meets through some process that I'm not even willing to guess at at the college. And I think that that's going to end up in some, like, wonky stuff and maybe, like, either getting him, like, uninvited to the college or, like, unaccepted or maybe making him or Lois be, like, you know, in some way it's going to be, like, all right, that that college is off the table, on to the next one. (laughs) Um, Okay. And I have no fucking clue on the rest of the family. I think we're going to get a mostly Lois and, and... Malcolm centered episode. Okay. Uh Eric, do you have any further questions? Uh what color shoes is Francis on? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I'll refrain. Every time. <laughs> That's good, because I have no other guesses at this point. We've exhausted most of the tropes that I could think of them doing in this season. Uh, well, you, you see, David, I, I think he's going to uh, like meet an academic, and then they're going to be on a podcast about a sitcom, where oh, they, they get into an argument about you know whether inspiration is part of the educational process and if that should count. <laughs> <laughs> David doesn't seem amused anymore. <laughs> <laughs> David does look dead. <laughs> Oh, he's, <laughs> he's in his own COG disassociative state right now. <laughs> Just end the episode! What are we doing? Wrap it up! Close it up! Wow. The shop wow. is done! Wow. God! Wow. Bring, wow. Bring, bring in some big Eric Bedore energy over there. <laughs> You're right. Okay, uh, well, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Eric, why don't you tell people once again where they can find you? Oh, thank you. File Under Entertainment Podcast and also The Evil Mark Show. And a uh, big thank you and credit to Jacob Newfeld, who does the intro and outro music for this show. You can find all of his social media and places to listen to his music in the episode descriptions. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email where we are life is at gmail.com or on Twitter where we are unfair underscore podcast. And if you enjoy this insanity, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray where we play video games, chat with the audience, and in general, have a good time. And as always, life is unfair. I lied, I wasn't ready. <laughs> Are we going to have to do another recording now or I hope you leave this too. <laughs>